for all my women out there, I just want you to know that you are a boss. Women have to be at the table for technology and innovation. And if not, we'll simply create our own. Don't feel like you shouldn't be a part of the tech space just because there aren't many women in the room. That's exactly why we need you to be there. Girl, don't forget to rep your set in these tech spaces, AKA rep your culture. You are the face of technology and the face of the future. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Women in Tech with Ariana podcast with me, Ariana, as your favorite host. For those of you, it's your first time tuning in. Welcome to an amazing community of women in tech where we talk about the latest news in technology, hear stories from women in tech from all around the world and share tangible resources and tools like access to funding. We give away free materials to help you learn how to code. We talk about job opportunities, conferences of the year that we think you should attend and so much more. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button guys and leave a review in the podcast app or on the website you are using to listen to this episode. This month, guys, is a super special month because it's Women's History Month and the Women in Tech with Ariana podcast has partnered with Manning Publications for our Blazing Trails podcast series. Every week of this month, we are featuring two special guests to come on the show and talk about their journey through technology, share advice to our listeners, and of course, we have giveaways for you guys. So every Monday and Wednesday of this month, we are publishing new episodes with some of the most powerful women in technology from around the world. Make sure to share this episode with your friends and tell them to tune in as we celebrate Women for Women's History Month. Super quick commercial break, guys. This year, we're doing something totally different for the Women in Tech with Ariana podcast. We get quite a few women who reach out and want to be on the show. So we've decided to launch the Women Around the World Highlight Series, where we will feature women in tech. um, And you get to talk about your business or your nonprofit and how you're making an impact on our community. So we'll be providing exposure to our global audience for your business or your nonprofit. If you're interested in being a part of this highlight series for our podcast, send us an email at podcast at HuaweiTech.com with the subject line, Women Around the World, and our podcast team will send you details. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Women in Tech with Ariana podcast with me, Ariana, as your favorite host. For those of you, it's your first time tuning in. Welcome to an amazing community of women in tech where we talk about the latest news in technology, hear stories from women from all around the world and share tangible resources and tools like access to funding or giving away free materials to help you learn things like coding, job opportunities. Um, and we talk about you know the latest conferences of the year that we think that you should attend and so much more. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button and leave a review in the podcast app or the website you are using to listen to this podcast episode. Today, guys, we have not one, but two very special guests, Emily Robinson and Jacqueline Nolis. Emily is a senior data scientist at Warby Parker, keynote and international speaker. Emily previously worked for Etsy with their search team to design, implement, and analyze experiments. Emily regularly gives talks on A-B testing, R programming, and data science career advice at conferences and meetups. Jacqueline is a principal data scientist at NOLIS LLC. Jacqueline has over a decade worth of experience using data science to solve business problems. Jacqueline has helped build data science teams from scratch and lead data science, machine learning, and AI projects at Fortune 500 companies like Microsoft, Adobe, Airbnb, and T-Mobile. Jacqueline and Emily are both the co-authors of their book, Build a Career in Data Science. Their book is a complete guide to help you navigate from getting your first data science job to quickly becoming a senior employee. Jacqueline and Emily are both industry 
experts and lay out the soft skills you'll need alongside your technical know-how to succeed in the data science field. Jacqueline and Emily, we are so excited to have you guys on the show today. Thank you. Thanks. We're very excited to be here. Awesome. This is going to be great. I, I love doing the research on you guys' story, and I'm so excited to talk about the book. But first, we'll just go ahead and hop into questions. Jacqueline, we'll start with you. Tell us about where you're originally from and where you're currently based. Okay, I'll give you my like super quick story. So I grew up in New England, uh, Rhode Island, actually went to school, got an undergrad, a master's degree in math, and I'm like, I really like math, and I hear that businesses hire mathematicians to do stuff. I'm going to go get a job in industry. And I'm like, oh, I get to do proofs and all these things I learned in math class. I got a job in industry, and I quickly realized, oh, it's a lot of Excel, it's a lot of SQL, and it's all these things that were not so theoretical as I was hoping for. So I took, you know, I switched jobs a bit, then I went to academia, I got a PhD in industrial engineering, realized I actually didn't like doing too much theoretical stuff, I actually liked the applications quite a bit, and so since then I've been a consultant, and I've really liked that. So for the past six or seven years, I've been at various consulting companies, and recently, I decided to go rogue and start my own company. My wife and I co-founded it, and I help companies with data science, machine learning, and AI all throughout the Seattle and Pacific Northwest area. Awesome. That is amazing. I'm so excited. We're going to be asking a lot of questions about that later. So Emily, tell us about where you're originally from and currently based. Yes. So I'm originally from New York City, and I'm actually living back here now. But between growing up and coming back, I went and got a degree in decision sciences, which is a major I made myself around psychology, economics, and stats. I went to France for two years as part of a PhD program in organizational behavior, but similar to Jacqueline, decided academia was not for me and off-tracked after two years when I got my master's there and came back to New York. And I've been, I did a three-month data science boot camp called Metis, and since then I've been working in data science and really enjoying it. Now that's something that you both have in common, right? Like the academia was not for me. And I felt the same way. Like, so, you know, went to college. My story is different where I ended up actually dropping out of school and then being able to do like stuff like boot camps and then launching, you know, different tech startups and stuff like that. But I, let me kind of change the conversation. I was going to go another place, but I think this is a very important point to touch because there are other people who relate, right? Like whether they're currently in college or, you know, they've just graduated and they're trying to figure out that next step. So Emily, kind of tell us, like, I'm curious to know your story of like the discovery of, okay, you know, academia isn't really for me and I'm trying to figure out what is that next step? Yeah, absolutely. So doing a PhD program is a very unique experience because it's, it's very much a big part of what drives your success and how much you enjoy it is your advisor. This is a, a faculty member who helps guide your, your research and in the first year, you know, maybe uh, trying to like publish stuff with you or taking you onto the research team and then continuing to advise you review your dissertation. And it's really important to have uh, both a good research and a good personality fit there. And I just didn't find both of those things where I was. And the other thing I realized is one thing that excited me about industry was, as Jacqueline said, getting to have more of an impact. Academia, the process can be very, very long. I knew many professors who it took them seven years or more to publish a paper. So long timelines. Uh, you know, some some of them are very influential folks who have published in popular books, who speak at at, at companies and other things, but. Other professors, their work doesn't end up having that much impact outside of academia. And so I really wanted to go somewhere where I felt, one, the, the timelines were a little bit shorter, and two, you know, I could really be working with the people who I would hope to help, which is what drew me to data science, because the process there I found was very similar to research in the sense that you start with, uh, you know, like 
reading about some research, you hear about something, you start looking it up yourself, you investigate it with data, then you have to come to conclusions and you explain it to people ranging from someone like very much in the same niche, so at a very you know technical level, to someone who's in a totally different department or even outside of academia. And so in industry case, that may be someone, a business stakeholder who isn't really familiar with data science. So a lot of the skills I learned there, I found to translate. That is amazing. And Jacqueline, uh, when we, when I look at your story, right, like we talk about, you know, you mentioned the challenges with academia, but you know, you even went from a corporate perspective to now, like, okay, I'm consulting and like, you know, you're doing your own thing. So I'm curious to know what was that discovery process for you and how are you like, yeah, like how do you like um, being a full-time consultant for the last seven years? Great question. So I think it's kind of, you know, the problem I had, I think when I first started industries, I'm someone who like, I lose attention really, really easily. So <laughs> I'm constantly like, I want a stream of like interesting problems to solve and then get a new interesting problem. And you know, when I first was in industry, what I got wasn't that, it wasn't even close to that. It was something that I would consider now to be a mediocre science job where it was very much like update these reports each week, make these PowerPoint slides for the executives each week mm-hmm. over and over. And so I was really kind of dissatisfied. Yeah. And so I went to academia thinking, oh, I get all these fun problems. You know, and academia has some, I could have a whole rant about why I think academia is <laughs> But I decided, I decided after, I actually during the last few years of my PhD, I started doing consulting as a contractor for a consulting company on the side. And I found that consulting, it can be really nice in consulting because you do get a much, generally you get a much faster stream of product, projects you work on. Like you'll work on something for a couple months for one company, then go work on something else, then go work on something else. And that helps me, you know, in a way because I just like things change around so much. But that being said, I've also seen plenty of consulting jobs where you do get stuck on the same project for two years and it's just like industry. And I've seen lots of industry jobs where you're in a particular team at a company that does get lots of projects that, uh, continuously innovate with. And so, you know, consulting's really worked out for me. I really enjoy getting to kind of be my own free agent a little bit, but uh, I do think there's lots of good jobs for people who have my, my same style of problem of, I just need new interesting problems all the time. There's plenty yeah. of places like industry, industry that have that too. That is awesome. And, you know, so now let's jump into the juicy part. Let's talk about data science, guys. So, Jacqueline, we'll start with you. You know, it, you know, when, you know, everyone has, I guess, their own definition of what they think data science is. And, you know, there seems to be like a lot of certain terms that in technology that are buzzwords when it comes down to data science. So what actually is data science? Help our listeners understand. And how do you see it applied in real life applications? Yeah. Um, and so let me start off by saying when I first went into industry, data science wasn't even a term yet. Mm. And so like, I just, now I know I did back then have the job of data science, but we didn't call it that. Interesting. And so in between the start of writing this book uh, that Emily and I, we've been working on and today, I actually think I've changed my mind of how I would define it. But like, I've already, by the time the book's ended, it's slightly different than I maybe would have written it today. Interesting. So yeah, so I think the, the way I would think about data science is really, it's any job where you are taking a company's data and you're using it to help do something. And so a decision scientist is someone who typically takes that data, analyzes it, tries to understand it, you know, figures out why are these customers leaving so much? You know, what can we do? Like doing an analysis on them, that's like a decision scientist. A machine learning engineer, I would also consider like a, like under the umbrella of data science. And that's like, how can I take this data and build like a, a recommendation model or something that actually continuously works in real time? And like an analyst, which again is still a form of data science, is like a person who takes that data and like, I'm going to put it into reports, I'm going to put it into dashboards so that executives can 
And Emily, what about you? Like, how do you see data science being applied in real life applications and how do you define it to people? Yeah, I mean, very similar to Jacqueline. And I think it is, you know, an open question and people have differing opinions on what falls under the umbrella of data science. I'm sort of in the big tent. And one thing I like to think of is, uh, for example, you know, pretty much all of us do write it um, as part of our jobs. But that doesn't mean, you know, we wouldn't necessarily call ourselves a professional writer. But I think similarly, there can be lots of positions and lots of people who are doing data science, even if they're, you know, not necessarily called data scientists. So I think I'm very big into having like the inclusive umbrella of, as Jacqueline said, like if you're making data useful, I think that is considered data science. That doesn't necessarily mean you can go out and get a job as a data scientist. Like that requires a certain level of skill in doing that. But I do think that, you know, more and more it's becoming common that lots of different jobs are, are needing people to work with data as part of their day-to-day, even if their core responsibility is something else. Yeah, that's really good. So out of all of your experience, right, in work and research in data science, what has been one of like your favorite projects or one where you've seen the data used in the most useful or impactful way for users, consumers, or yourself? Yeah, so as mentioned at the start, I used to work at Etsy which is an e-commerce company uh, that has millions of uh, sellers around the world who sell handcrafted vintage or or craft materials. And I worked there with the search team and I ended up starting to specialize in helping with A-B testing and experimentation. And that was huge because by working with them, that's how we made decisions on everything from what search ranking algorithms should we use when someone types in jewelry and we have 2 million results, what should be the 40 that we search on the first page to what features can we add to the search page, what visual features to help people figure out what they want, and giving people a way to, you know, there was a design process first, it's not like you can like try anything under the sun, there was user research, there are many components in deciding what to test, but then once we have that, having a rigorous way to compare how does that, you know, look versus what we had the old way, and should we be rolling it out? And in some cases, those new new features or changes resulted in millions of extra sales for, for Etsy over the course of, uh, you know, a year. Wow, that is a, definitely a huge impact. And Jacqueline, like, what, what are some of the projects that you've worked on in the past couple of years where you've seen that impact and you saw that it was most useful? So for the last uh, couple of years, I've been consulting for T-Mobile. And T-Mobile really cares about the, having a good customer and so they, you know, they were really investing more in AI and machine learning. So I helped start up the AI uh, T-Mobile. And one of the projects the AI team built is this tool that if you're having a text message with a T-Mobile like expert, like a care expert, and you're saying something like, oh, I can't pay this bill, my bill this month, or I want to unlock my phone, you can text that to T-Mobile and an agent will respond to you. And we built machine learning models that will look at, analyze the conversation as it's ongoing, figure out what the topic is, and try and show facts that will help the agent. So if the customer says, I want to pay my bill, and you know, when the, by the time the agent goes to start the conversation, the customer's bill is already on the screen for that. And so you know, if you're having you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of conversations every day, that can really add up yeah. just by doing you know, some classification models uh, that a data scientist would build. 
Interesting. And that I'm sure that saves so much time. And, you know, it's interesting, like, when I – so you talked about T-Mobile. There are other companies, right, who have, like, the, the chat bots with, you know, the customer service. And I've always wondered why and how they're so fast. So now I see why they have an awesome team of, you know, machine learn, uh, you know, engineers who are building, like, this technology, and that's amazing. Yeah, and T-Mobile generally doesn't much care for chat bots because it's not mm. good. It's not a good experience, right, because you say something that your chat bot doesn't get it, and it's blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Quickly falls apart and you realize someone talking to a robot and I realized I was talking to a human. And so what this, you know, this we really focused on the human, you know, the customer never talks to a robot. What happens instead is they talk to an agent who has a robot helping them. Gotcha. So to the customer, it just feels better. Gotcha. So it's more so assisting them, but the customer is in interfacing with this piece directly. Exactly. Gotcha. Okay. Awesome. Now. Oh, and so that was, uh, oh, yeah. uh, sorry, that was my most impactful. Oh, yes. Yeah. Your favorite. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that project required deep learning on text. And I had actually, before I started that project, I had learned deep learning on text like three months earlier. And it's because I did it as like a dumb side project hmm. just for fun. I'm like, like, I didn't know deep learning. I'm going to learn it. And so I took all this list of offensive license plates that the state of Arizona banned people from getting. Interesting. And I trained a deep learning uh, neural network to generate more of these. And it was really funny. <laughs> I learned in making that model is what I used at T-Mobile, uh, you know, several months later. Oh, that is so cool. I'm curious. So, like, what kind of, well, I guess maybe we don't have to say some of the phrases specifically, but, like, what made you interested in using that as a test to learn uh, deep learning? I, it was, I was super jealous because you see all these people online who have all these funny neural networks, like neural networks who generate Harry Potter. Yeah. Like, I, I saw all these and I was super jealous. I'm like, I was and then I saw that uh, a newspaper article that had, or I remembered a newspaper article from years earlier that mentioned this list existed, and I'm like, that's it, that's perfect. And I, I did a freedom of information request to the state of Arizona, and they sent me a, a, a DVD back that had all of these things on it, and it was, it was just Interesting. That is so cool. I love that. Emily, I'm curious, like, do you have any, like, past projects or maybe a current one where it's just, like, a fun project that you were like, you know what, I want to learn this specific skill, and maybe this is a good way to go about doing it? Yeah, absolutely. So mine was driven less by learning a specific skill, uh, but in August, I was playing Pokemon Let's Go, Eevee, uh, which uh, Great. Uh, and you know, but I was speaking my Pokemon team, and there are, I think, around, like, 18 different types of Pokemon, and they have strengths and weaknesses, so, you know, fire is strong against a defending grass type, um, and I was like, okay, but I can only have six Pokemon on my team, so what would be the six types uh, that are strong against, you know, the, the largest number of defending types? Nice. And I was Googling around for this, and I couldn't find anything. You can find lots of tables with, like, what types are strong against which, but not, like, here are the, you know, six you should combine. And so I actually was like, well, you know, I can program in R, so why don't I uh, use that to solve this problem? Huh. And so I did some simulations, and I was able to find, oh, or I think it's a, you know, these are the 10 uh, sets of six types that are strong against 17 defending types. And I'm fun to with that. So I was like, oh, you know, this is like really fun. Uh, you know, it, it's just like a little side project. It's not very serious. Sure. And, you know, it's not something I'm going to do for work. And then I don't check my Google Analytics very often for my blog, but yeah. I just like randomly checking. I saw this huge spike in traffic a couple of later. I'm like, what is happening? And it's when the new Pokemon game came out. Oh my goodness. <laughs> searching for what type should I have my Pokemon team, my blog post started coming up. Whoa! Uh, so even now it has like 10 times the view of any other page on the people were interested in this than I necessarily thought. I was just trying to solve my own problem, but now it's 
That is so cool. Okay, so two things, listeners, to all of you listening right now. We just learned two things from both Jacqueline and Emily. Number one, find something fun to just, you know, exercise the skill that you're, or the, the programming language or whatever exercise that you have to learn. Number two, find something funny or maybe even controversial and write a blog post about it because maybe it will go viral and you'll get a lot of content. So that is awesome. Emily and Jacqueline, you know, you guys are both the co-authors of the book, Build a Career in Data Science. What's the story behind how this book got started and why are you passionate about teaching people to build a career in data science? And Jacqueline, we'll start with you. So Manning, our publisher, uh, they approached me because they read some of my blogs and I said, oh, we like, you know, um, your blog posts about career stuff. Um, and they're like, would you be interested in writing just a book about data science for our publishing company? And I'm like, yeah, potentially. It'd be fun to talk about like how to get into data science, things like that. And I'm like, but I wouldn't want to write alone. I'm like, I really need an author about it. And uh, I'd seen like three or four months ago, I watched Emily give a talk at Data Day Texas. And I remember that, like, I'm like her talk was so good. She was so elegant and eloquent. And um, her blog posts are like so informative. I'm like, I, I, like, I've talked to her like once before, but I'm gonna be like, hey, I don't really know you, but you want to write a book with me? so awesome and Emily how's that for you like someone just saw your talk that is so like that is so awesome so you saw Emily speak you asked her to join you in writing you know this book that Manning approached you with Emily how did that make you feel <laughs> yeah it's really fun because it, it's not something that would have occurred to me that actually I've written on some like data science career advice before nice uh, and yeah Jacqueline had come up to me after my talk and I had seen uh, her talk at that conference as well and really enjoyed it yeah so it was, it was uh very exciting and then that kicked off the process so even though Manning approached Jacqueline like we still went through their proposal and you make a table of contents and you answer certain questions like you know what resources exist now for this uh, and yeah and I, I was really happy at how well it all has worked out because uh, I mean I was able to look I'd see Jacqueline speak I was able to look at her blog post but still I mean we've met once it, you know it could have been a little risky uh, going in and doing this big project with someone that I've never worked with before. Right. I didn't know that well. But it's been really fun to get to know Jacqueline over the now almost two years since we we started this process. That is awesome. And Emily, I'm curious, like, so what do you think, what is it about data science that you're like, you know what, I think that people, and of, of course we can get specific and say women need to be in this industry. What, what is it about data science that makes you feel like, you know, hey, this is important for the future and you need to know this? Yeah, I mean, I think a big part is, one, one is like a lot of people, like we don't even need to sell them on data science. They're like, I am interested in data science, but I don't know where to start. Mm. And because it's a relatively new field, there's not as many established pathways and understanding of how to enter. Right, with software engineering, you're like, okay, I know there are like boot camps, and of course, you know, there's been a computer science major in schools forever, and so you kind of have an idea of like, okay, this is how I would start that career. But with data science, it's been shifting so much. You know, data science degrees didn't exist until a few years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, so some people are like, wait, do I have to have like a computer science or a stats background? Do I need a PhD? And so part of it was wanting to clarify that actually it's easier to, you know, it's, it's much more open and lots of different backgrounds. Uh, for example, the social sciences, which is my background, are really helpful. Yeah. But why I think it's, it's great for a lot of people is, you know, Glassdoor has been rating it like the number one career for a while. There's a pretty big demand for it. There's good salaries. I mean, we talk about in the book, obviously, as in any job, it, it depends on the company and your specific position. But, 
you know, when data science is good, it can be really good. Uh, lots of autonomy, lots of interesting problems, really great communities around people interested in helping each other. So I just think, I mean, in general, it's like, I think especially, you know, more minors need to, you know, can, can show it and go into tech and be encouraged to go into tech because it can be a career that offers a lot of, you know, salary, flexibility and opportunities. That is awesome. And, you know, you and you hit on it. I was going to mention that one thing I love, you know, about the book is that it doesn't just focus on teaching just the technical knowledge, but also focuses on the practical tax. Right. And, you know, how to navigate and obtain a career successfully in data science. So, Jacqueline, what is what is some advice that you can give to our listeners who, you know, are interested in landing their first job? You know, they want to learn more about the industry and really kind of get focused. So, of course, we're going to obviously plug the book. But what are some more like specific? tactics that you find are helpful when getting into this industry. And you know, it's funny you mentioned that the book is there's lots of non-technical information. We actually try to strip out as much technical information as have. It's almost all non-technical. Yes, yes. So it, it, yeah, that was a design choice. But the thing that, you know, it's we actually kind of were hitting on it earlier, but I think the thing that can really help out people who are wanting to get in is just finding little projects you can do to kind of get little bits of experience here and there. You know, it's not it's not too insurmountable to install Python or R Studio and just start playing around a little bit. And just like the more you can kind of dip your toes into it, the easier it kind of gets. I think I think people kind of view data science as like this. You know, there's 10 million skills. And you have to learn them all, and only once you have learned all of them, may you get your first yeah. data science job. Right. That's not how it works. <laughs> Yeah, and and that and you know it's interesting. Like when I remember when I was first learned when I first learned to like learn the object oriented language like what three almost three four years ago, and I remember feeling. Uh, so I did a coding boot camp that was twelve weeks, and I remember feeling like this huge sense of like, just imposter syndrome, right? Because it was like you know I don't know you know all of these you know you know deeper concepts. I was only in it for twelve weeks, but then I realized that the best whether you're a data scientist or you're a software developer or whatever engineer wherever you are in the tech industry. The best ones is that we're always constantly learning and that there's so many resources out there. So I'm glad that you touched on that point because so many people feel um, that way. And, you know, we need people to understand that, you know, being in tech and specifically data science is important and it is accessible. And I'm super glad that you guys literally wrote a guide that will help people, um, you know, be successful in their career in data science. Yeah, and I think, I think me and Emily are both, you know, we, we've been around the block. We're yes. Senior, and, like, I mean, for me, like, I'm still, like, like this week I'm learning new skills by just, well, I'm going to try this out a little bit and toy with it until I kind of start to understand it. So, like, I'm still at this point in my career very much, well, I have to tinker and try out new things because I don't know everything. Yeah. That is awesome. Emily, do you feel that same way as well? Yes, absolutely. And that's actually one of the reasons uh, I chose my new job at Warby Parker was to uh, I've been doing a lot in A-B testing and experimentation. I still really enjoy that, but I wanted to broaden what kind of problems I work on. So right now, uh, I'm working on a forecasting problem, and I actually never studied time series or done forecasting, and it's a whole different set of tools of like models and ways to think about it. So I'm diving into that. And it is like it is a little scary, but at the same time, it's really exciting. Uh, and it's exactly what you said of you know everyone is constantly learning in this field. Like even if you you know, formally studied all of these things. It's like, well, the field is advancing. Yes. So, you know, what you studied 10 years ago, what you learned about, say, you know, say I had studied forecasting uh, in college. Well, now it's five years later and the tools that you used and, and some of the research has advanced. And so I have to be keeping up with it anyway. 
Yeah, that and you know, Emily, this literally leads us into uh, our second to last question. How do you see the world of data science impacting the future in like ten years, twenty years, or however many years ahead that you um, want to go? But like, how do you see data science impacting the world in the future? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think in a lot of different ways. I mean, I think one thing we are seeing coming out more and more is the question about regulation around uh, data science yes. and its applications. So I think it's called Clear Review. It's like a facial recognition uh, a database tool for police officers. And, you know, just in general, that I think uh, San Francisco is now banned facial recognition. So that's going to be, I think, a huge area as a capability. Uh, especially with image recognition and uh, AI, you know, you have Ring, you have these smart doorbells that are yeah. videos all the time. Uh, so I think that to me is the biggest thing we're going to have to grapple with is uh, ethics and regulation as these tools get more powerful. Yes, that that should like I'm going to have to have you guys come back on the show. We need to talk about the ethics behind data science, because that I've read some very interesting articles about, you know, just different, you know, uh, data scientists and engineers that are testing out different models. Um, and when it comes down to like whether we're talking about like healthcare, right, or um, I mean, if we just talked about health in general and we talked about data science, there can be some interesting, uh, you know, perspectives on, you know, what's like right and what's wrong and you know how much access to what type of information so we're gonna have to like totally come back to that because I'm curious to know what you guys' perspectives are on that um and uh Jacqueline yeah so how do you see the world of data science uh impacting the future so um if you think about like I don't know the last decade or so yeah about a, you know, about a decade ago right when people started using the word data science so suddenly Every business needs data scientists. If you don't have data science, your business is going to go under and the company is going to <laughs> Yeah. And people started to realize that wasn't quite true. And then, now it, then it was AI. Oh, AI will change the game. Is, <laughs> is your company AI ready? So, and that started to fade too. People yeah. So I kind of see the future for data science is, is more along the lines of like, like maturing both in machine learning, AI, data science, just maturing in like better understanding of when companies need these tools and where they need them, mm -hmm. right? Like, you know, maybe every team doesn't need, you know, a team of 15 data scientists to help. Maybe you only need one data scientist, but you want, like, one person who's solely dedicated to AI, you know? Like, like these sorts of, like, what's the right amount of people to have and what kind of work? I think the next 10 years or so, it's going to be a lot of, a lot more people kind of figuring that out. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. And you guys, this has gone so fast, but we are literally at our last question, which is like insane. But what is one thing right now that you're passionate or excited about? I mean, it doesn't have to be tech related at all. So Emily, we'll start with you. Yeah, one thing I'm passionate or excited about. So, well, one thing I'm excited about is I'm going on my honeymoon in two weeks. Woo, awesome. <laughs> you're a honeymoon, that's amazing. Yeah, so I'm very excited about that. Um, but in general, like I'm really, I, I, I'm excited to see, uh, you know, how to have conversations with. So one thing I really enjoy doing is uh, mentoring people and uh, in data science uh, at my company and through uh, Our Ladies, which is a group I'm a part of. Uh, people I meet at conferences, and I'm excited. Like that's part of the reason I wrote this book, and I'm really excited. Uh, you know, now that it's released, to see the the impact it has, what questions people still have um, and just really figuring out how to scale up health because uh, so Hillary Mason who's very big in data science uh, recently posted on Twitter asked uh, you know I get like 
10 emails every week asking, how do I get into data science? Uh, she doesn't have time to write a customer response to you, so what, you know, what, should I write a resource on this? Is there another resource that you use? And I'm really hoping that our book can help become uh, that resource and, you know, not that, uh, and, and still be available to help people, but spend a lot of time working on this book and it's like, okay, here is like our starting point, a lot of our thoughts, and then, you know, answering follow-up questions, figure out how to make it even better, but just going beyond what we could ever do if, uh, you know, the only way we advise people was in one-on-one chats. And Jacqueline, what's one thing that you're passionate about right now in life and it doesn't have to be tech-related? So I think kind of to build on Emily's point, I had never written a book before this. Don't know if I've ever written one again, but never written one before. And, you know, when you're writing a book, you kind of like, you kind of go in, it feels like you go into a cave where like all of your thought and your energy is like, I gotta get the next chapter out, I've gotta think about this topic. And so what I agree with Emily, it's just gonna be very nice to see, okay, now what if we've exited the cave, what do people think of this thing we've done? How can it help? That'll be useful. And part of it is also, because um, personally, it's nice to also start to be able to think about other topics besides just what building your career in data science is about. Like just actually this morning, I published a blog post about a, um, a an art, connecting R to the Twitter API and authenticating it a certain way. And it's like, you know, I haven't had time to write a technical blog post in a year. So it's really, it's just really, I'm really looking forward to just getting some time to relax a little bit, to have some new technologies, do more of these side products to learn new things. And that's something that I think will be a lot of fun. That is awesome. Well, I'm excited that, you know, you guys have just, you know, you know, are managing, right, like your technical career, but also having a blast on the side. Emily, I hope you have an amazing time at your honeymoon. And Jacqueline, you better keep writing that blog because we need to continue to read it. But yeah, just having you guys on the show has been amazing. Thank you so much for having us.